outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson, and today I'm joined by Brody Swisher to discuss strategies and tactics for hunting pressured deer during the entire rut. All right, folks, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. You might notice that this is not the voice of Mark Kenyon. He's off at the National Air Guitar Championship, where he's competing as a semifinalist after winning the Midwest Regional back in April. So wish him luck. You got me instead. And today my guest is Brody Swisher. Brody is an outdoor writer and a whitetail nut. He lives in Tennessee, but he hunts all over the country, not only for his job, but for his personal obsession. He's one of my favorite industry personalities for a couple of reasons. He's just down to earth and he's truly honest about his hunting motivations. I love that. And you're going to hear that in this episode. He's also just ate up with hunting because he loves it. And he'll shoot a deer for meat just as quickly as he'll drop the hammer on a big buck, which is something you know I love too. I had a great time chatting with him, and I think you're going to love his fresh take on hunting and his in depth strategies for staying on bucks from the last part of October all the way through November. Brody Swisher, it is good to see your face, buddy. Absolutely, man. Always good to to see you and catch up every few months, every season, whatever it is, man. Always good to get back in the groove and catch up with you a bit. So we were, we were just chatting off air. You and I have hunted together a few times. We've known each other, I don't know, six, seven, eight years now. And I, when we were going to set up this interview, I looked back on our text strings to see if I could find your Skype username so I could look you up. And I had totally forgotten about this. You know, we hunted Florida together on that freaking yeah. mosquito fest down there a few years ago. And there's a, there's a part of that text string where I had grunted in a spike <laughs> and I was, <laughs> I was texting the guy who was kind of in charge of the thing. I'm like, I got a buck coming. I need to shoot it. I got to shoot it. And he's like, how big is it? I'm like, it's a spike. He's like, you can't shoot it. So I was texting yep. you at the same time. And you're like, brother, you got to shoot that. Deer. <laughs> and yeah, I'm like, it yeah. won't let me. Yeah. Well, 
I remember that hunt well, and I think about it all, every season, honestly. It's just, you know, good or bad on the outcome of the hunt. It's always good memories, you know, some stories in there. But I just remember, same deal. I think it was my last hunt of the, of the you know, the trip. And, and you know, just like I said, the spike spike comes out. And, and like, they know, man, it's got to be five, four inches, five inches, whatever they got to be for spike. And I'm just, I'm ready to, you know, unload, turn it loose, send it. And, uh, and they slapped you on the hand and said, no, you can't do that. And same deal on the first day. I remember the first day I had all these does kept coming by me. I'm like, Hey, we good to shoot does. I'm fixing to send it on one of these suckers. And Oh no, you can't shoot does. And I was like, dude, I wouldn't have come to Florida if I'd have known ahead of time that I can't shoot does or, you know, any of the, the mixed bag and meat, meat critters. So, uh, yeah, that was fun hunt, tough hunt, but, uh, good times nonetheless. It, it was, and it, you know, it, it, what it makes me think about that I think, you know, I, I don't want to get in trouble with this, but I'm going to say it anyway. It, it, so that was a media hunt, right? We were people, this camel company brought us down there to do that hunt, test out some stuff. So that was bought and paid for. We didn't pay for it. It was kind of a guided deal. And the assumption on those hunts is always that it's a trophy hunt. Like you just, yeah. you show up and everybody's hunting trophies and it's just like accepted that way. And so when somebody like you or I gets into the camp, <laughs> it sort of, it sort of shakes things uh, off the foundation just a little bit because you, you know, you do the same thing I do in those situations. I don't really do those hunts anymore, but I always would be like, what's the smallest thing I can shoot and not get kicked out of camp? That's for? right. That's and, right. And, you know, you, that's one of the reasons I think that you and I have uh, gotten to be good buddies is that I just, I love, I, I would, I would label you as just a hunter. Like I would, I wouldn't put, you know, I wouldn't say straight public land hunter, private land hunter, deer grower, trophy hunter, none of that. I would just be like, that dude is just a hunter of critters. And I love that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's me, man. I, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat as a lot of guys. I, I, we all want to see the big bucks, man. Who doesn't want to shoot a big buck for somebody to say, I'm not a big buck hunter and I'll pass on a trophy when he comes back. Cause I want to shoot it. We're not doing that, but man, here's the deal. I mean, um, I like to hunt. I like to provide. I like to take care of my family. I like the experiences. I like the, the story. I like to prove once again to myself and remind, remind myself that I can do it again and still got it, whatever. All the different aspects for me go into it. It doesn't matter. Public land, private land, whatever. I, I enjoy the hunt. And uh, as long as it's legal and you're doing things like you're supposed to, uh, I love to play the game every time. And so uh, it is just I'm very much an opportunistic hunter. And uh, like I said, Trophy buck, spike buck. I, I love to tell a story, make stories, and so it's hard not to take advantage of those opportunities when they come. And and, and I still love it. You know, I've been doing it a long time, but I still love uh, coming to full draw, seeing if I can get to full draw with one standing right there at twelve yards. And so it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and you you've got a big family, and you feed them a lot of wild game. And I I had I had a conversation the other day with a fellow that I, I kind of like. I know him a little bit. And he's, he's a bow hunter and he was telling me how him and his son three years ago, both shot nice bucks and they're still eating them. And I was just like, you guys haven't gone through, you know, I mean, even if they're really big bucks, what are you talking? A hundred, 110 pounds of meat, maybe, maybe, you know, and this is kind of Northern Minnesota. So they're going to be big deer, but I was yeah. like, how the hell could you not go through that meat? And you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That that's it. I don't know. Uh, they must not be eating enough tacos or something. But I, uh, yeah, it it gets going quick and and I do. I laugh every time I see. You know, it seems like it's some some chick or whoever. You know, on social media and they'll they'll kill a sixty pound doe and like just filled the freezer. And I'm like, 
No, you did not. You know, <laughs> I don't know how big your freezer is, but you know, it's going to take more than that. I love you, the trying, but yeah, it's uh, it takes us a lot of meat to fill the freezer, and and we do keep it stocked. And that's usually, you know, about this time of year. My wife's like, hey, you need to get out there and, and kill some critters because we we're getting thin in the freezer. And so I love those those directions and uh, orders from the boss to get out there and get some meat. So uh, yeah, that that part's fun. I mean, when you think yeah. when you think about that. You know, I, I always use this as an example. This was, man, this was probably 12, 13 years ago. This was back when a non-resident could buy an over-the-counter uh, antelope tag in North Dakota for archery. And I went out, a couple of buddies of mine and, and my dad, we went out hunting for the opener and I shot an antelope the first night. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a real big goat or anything. Even a big one is not that big, but we ate that entire thing during our hunt no, except for yeah. one i had one sandwich bag maybe it was tenderloins or something of of meat that i brought home from that it was like it was awesome you know every night you got you're feeding four guys who are spotting and stalking all day you know so right. we, we ate a lot and so it was like every night was awesome because you're eating fresh antelope but then when you go home from a hunt where you were successful and you've got like seven ounces of meat it kind of sucks <laughs> you bring home a ziploc bag to the rest of the family They're not quite as impressed are they no, but it's, it, it, that, that part's good. You, you started out your fall this year, uh, way back in, you know, early September, maybe even late August hunting some velvet deer and you killed one in, in Kentucky, right? That's right. Yeah. That was the start to my season. First, I got to play the game there and, um, uh, man, I had a great week. It was fun. I was kind of getting over the COVID stuff from a month ago or better and, and just kind of getting my energy back and um it was a great way to get in the stand and and uh just be back in the back in the woods bow hunting again man i look forward to it every year like i said this year was a little bit of a struggle just not having the the energy uh that that covid kind of sucked the life out of me and uh but just getting back in the game um a lot of fun yeah we had a great time hunting uh not too far from me i'm on the tennessee line with kentucky so you know 30 minute trip up the road and um it's always good to, you know start the season off there and and it's it's a hunt where um you know depending on where you are what your setup is it's 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 everything wrong with the world according to social media hunting private farms you can hunt over corn up there you can do all the stuff and uh but i tell guys i said man it's just a fun hunt to catch up with friends be back in camp uh again if it's legal i i enjoy it um you know and i i love tapping into that opportunity you know hunting afternoons there and uh, yeah i guess it was the second night of the hunt um, sitting up on a little ridge it had food plots on top and had corn out as well. And, um, just, just a beautiful evening. I had several bucks come through, I had some does and fawns and the buck that I was after was just a goofy, goofy seven pointer buck that, uh, my buddy said, Hey man, I've got this seven pointer. He's, he's an older buck, uh, very mature buck, but he just never has grown. He got short times, kind of the short time, seven pointer, one side's goofy. And, um, and again, just being an opportunistic hunter, I said, man, that's put me in the stand, man. Let me turn, turn me loose. I'll go after it, you know? So I've enjoyed those opportunities sometimes, call it a cold man or whatever, you know, just shooting the deer that other guys won't. And, um, and man, it's, again, I have a big time. I got a story to tell memories made and, uh, you know, some guys will go home empty handed because they don't want to shoot a, a certain deer. They got a higher standard. That's okay too, you know, yep. but, uh, I just love to play the game, you know, coming home with a cooler full of meat and, stories made. And so can't complain one bit. Yeah. And those, I was, I was talking to, uh, Tyler Jones from the element, uh, 
after he he went down he uh, he went up to Nebraska and he killed a nice buck right away um, first couple mm. days of the season and just talking to him and he was like as I was talking to him he was cutting that deer up and he was just happy like just you yeah. know you start the season you know and it, it, we're we're in a little bit different a place because we make our living off of this so when you get that monkey off your back right away it's nice but it's Absolutely. just so fun to start the year right away with a you know, with a successful hunt like that, it's such a freaking blast, man. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that was the deal for me. The next night or two after that buck, I shot a doe. And so I had two, two deer in the cooler and, uh, it is man, the monkeys off the back, get to come home and knowing that, Hey, our, our regular season here in Tennessee hadn't even started. We've got a couple more weeks, but I've already got two tags punched, you know, for the season, uh, testing out some gear and, and, and just, two deer in, you know, right off the bat. So my kids are fired up because they know, Hey, that means opening day is, is their time. They're thinking dad's done for a while. Uh, we're up to bat, you know, in the stand or ground line. So you mentioned, I, I, I want to talk about pre-rut and rut strategies with you, yeah. but you mentioned talk, uh, taking your kids, how many, how many kids you got hunting now? Well, I've got four kids and my oldest daughter, she's, she's, she's 18. Um, and she's big into soccer and she, her hunting, you know, she'll hunt, a time or two a year now you know she's just so busy with everything um but my boys i got three boys that any given weekend think they need to be in the woods it's their turn and so they all they all love it um and so yeah it, it's fun uh it's a challenge just because um again they all want to go and uh so just making those opportunities getting those blinds in the right spot and just uh setting up for success is, is tough but um and there's many times where i'm in the blind with them and we're two or three of us in the blind and and I swear I'll never do it again. And then I get home and I realize, man, that's the memories that we're making for, for a lifetime, you know? Yeah. So do you, do you, when you're bringing those boys, do you, are you hunting as well? Or are you just guiding? No, I'm just guiding. I used to do that. I used to pack my bow in there and think, okay, well maybe you'll shoot one and I will. And then it just turns into cluster. And then, um, and then of course in their mind too, they're, th- they're thinking, well, this ain't about me. This is about him. You know, he's going to shove me out of the way if a big buck walks out. That's why he's got his bow. And so, uh, so yeah, anymore, I carry the camera and it's just all about them getting the shot and, um, you know, depending on the situation. Yeah, I mean, if there is a legitimate from an older boy, if there's a legitimate opportunity for us to, you know, double up on turkeys or, you know, if there's an opportunity for a double true double opportunity, then maybe, you know, but, uh, for the most part, it's just, it's back in their gear and we got so much crap to carry. I don't, I don't the thought of carrying own stuff, you know, and for me as well, it's not, not a chance, you know, we got so much stuff, cameras and gear and tripods and, ground blinds and all the stuff. And so there's more than enough boat as it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, you know, when I take, take my little girls out, cause we're hunting, whether it's turkeys or deer, we're hunting out of blinds. And I just, I kind of made the decision when I started with them. I'm like, it's, it's their time. I'm just going to guide. Yeah. And I don't yeah. bring a weapon. And I, I actually, love it like it it, yeah. it really causes me to just be like you said you know like i this is for them and so my yep. decision making process is always like how do we get them a bird or how do we get them a deer and i to me i, I don't know about you but i actually feel like even though like you said you got a ton of gear to carry and you got a lot of stuff to think about with kids i feel so unburdened because i'm not worried about filling a tag for myself i feel i feel That's like right. i just flow state that stuff so much better and i'm just like I, I'm in it. it. It makes me feel like I'm in it for the right reasons. I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's so pure. And, uh, again, to me, it's just making those memories, you know, and I, <clears throat> I think back to my first opportunities and man, I remember those so much and just appreciate my dad so much for not blowing it and, and, and leaving me behind and making sure he invested in me and taking me on those opportunities that I've never forgotten, you know, some of the greatest memories of my life. And so I just think, man, this is an investment. It's an investment in your time, your love, your energy. Um, and man, don't miss out on that because it's going to come back and it's going to be way bigger than me going off and shooting any buck of any kind on my own, you know, is investing in those memories. Yeah. Now, can I, can I go on a rant for a second? Cause what you just said reminds me of something that pisses me off. And I'm curious if you ever experienced this. So, you know, you, you have the one daughter and then you got three boys. I have two daughters and yeah. it's weird because, you know, my daughters are, they're, they're bumping up on 10 years old and yeah. it's weird how often people tell me how horrible they're going to be. And like even strangers, you know, they'll send me an email and be like, um, oh, you know, it's really awesome that you're taking your girls hunting, but in four years, you're going to hate them and you're going to want to do this and they're going to hate you. And I'm like, I'm like, A, I, I know that that's a possibility. Believe me, like I, I get it. And like, B, like, where do we get if you constantly remind me of this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what what are we doing here? It, like, I don't want to sit there and look at the future and be like, well, this could suck. So I'm going to let it ruin this time now. It's it's yeah. bizarre to me. Yeah. Well, and I, I hear that from time to time too. And, and you know, I'm usually quick to say, hey, you know, just because you had a bad experience with your family and your situation or whatever, doesn't mean that's going to be my deal with my daughter, you know, whatever. And she still loves it. I mean, she just, she's so busy with everything else, but um, yeah, it is. You just have to make it happen, you know, at, in this moment, not focus on what's going to be on down the line and, and what might change or whatever. And again, just invest in the time you've got right now. And, um, you know, like I said, even despite the fact that she's gotten busier and, and doesn't get to hunt as much, I mean, every year she'll still say, Hey, I want, I want to go, you know, I want to get out there with you. And, and I think for more, her more than anything, I think it's just about being with me, you know, spend that time. She enjoys that. And so, um, yeah, I just keep put, you know, keep taking them and, uh, don't, don't push it. Don't force, it, you know, just let them do their thing and enjoy it. And again, just being together, making those memories and, uh, it's, it's hard to beat. Yeah. It's awesome. So we're, we're bumping right up on here, uh, pre-rut, coming into the rut what do you what are your plans for late october throughout november gosh man you know <coughs> i just think all the time more and more i find myself digging the last week of october and um you know that time last week of october through uh, those first couple of weeks of november before bucks just absolutely lose their mind uh some of the best time i i, I think you know guys miss out a lot of times taking uh, putting in all their time and taking their vacation um, for the rut itself, you know, miss out a lot of opportunities at pre-rut, you know, starting late October. I mean, man, gosh, late October could be the best possible time. You know, I've killed a lot of good bucks, you know, at pre-rut. And, and that's to me is when things start shaking, things start kicking uh, is that late October and that first week of November. Uh, for me, that's when I do my, the majority of my calling, the most responsive, uh, I, you know, I see in, in calling, be it rattling, grunting, um, and, and calling bucks out of those, uh, bedding areas, those thickets that I'm hanging out near. Um, but it, it really starts to happen in that time. Again, um, a lot of guys will take their time later on in November, but, um, and that's good because that opens the woods up for me. But, um, you know, that, that time last week of October, first part of November, again, calling is, is key. I do a lot of that. Uh, but to me, it's that time when those bucks first start realizing, here we go. You know, the big boys start realizing, you know, 
and they start slipping a little further and further. I know some guys will say bucks are, you know, completely nocturnal or whatever, but man, in my mind, there's, there's a buck standing on his feet somewhere. You just got to get close enough to where you're going to see him. You know, he's going to get up, he's going to move around. Yeah. He may be nocturnal from the standpoint of running wide open through the fields in the day or big timber, but man, he's on his feet somewhere. He's going to get up and stretch somewhere. Uh, and is that October, end of October comes on first part of November. That's when, um, Again, I see them starting venturing further and further from that bed, and uh, they start cracking out in that food plot, you know, uh, before last light, or they start getting out where your tree stand is, wherever it is, you know, um, placement-wise, they're just starting to venture a little further and further from their beds, and that's that first opportunity for those bigger deer um, to get out and see what all the fuss is about, because, you know, good and well, all those young bucks, man, they're they're want running wide open thinking, you know, it's go time starting mid October, whatever. And you you know, the guys get fired up, say, Hey man, the rut's on. Well, you just got them young bucks, those older bucks, you know, they're kind of hanging back. They've played the game. They know the deal. They'll kind of lay low. But, uh, again, you get into that last, last week of October, first yeah. part of November. And, uh, again, just catching them starting to slip up on their feet a little more, get out and venture around a little more, you know, just a good time to be, be in the tree. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater and use promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code MEATEATER at urgentcarekit.com slash eater. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors, and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. Now, this, this is a good innovation here, and it solves a real problem, okay? So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools, like a griddle on your grill. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. There's no use of coatings, okay? You can use metal tools to flip, press, and scrape without worry. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. Now, everything, the problem with griddles, everything rusts. No one talks about how bad everything rusts. Uh, the reason they don't because they couldn't fix it until now. Well, Weber's new rust-resistant technology, your Weber grill will last for years. When used, the carbon steel griddle hardens and bonds the surface, reducing the ability for moisture 
to collect and rust to form. With the new Weber Works Prep Cook and Store System, you can keep cooking and cleaning supplies handy, carry food and condiments from the kitchen to the griddle, and even convert the side table into a prep station. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. Are you when you're when you're talking about this late October type of hunting where you're calling and you're you know hopefully close to a bedding area? Are you, because when, when you talk about that, I think about my strategy and I really go, if you were to take like, I don't know, October 25th, I'm probably going to be a staging area, you know, by Halloween or November 1st, then I'm really starting to think those pinch points and, it, and, you know, like the terrain, really using the terrain to my advantage. But when you talk about late October whitetails, it sounds like you're talking about Kind of got those bucks pinned down. You're like, all right, he's probably going to be bedding here. I know he's going to that plotter. He's going to that field. You're going to creep in there to that cover pretty close and just use that, his his kind of uh, willingness to just get up a little earlier in daylight, move around, make some rubs. But it sounds like you're talking about an in-the-cover strategy mostly. Yeah, very much so. It is that staging area. Uh, and I saw it real well. I was able to show it to my son several <clears throat> excuse me, several years ago, you know, we'd sit in the field and watch the field and, um, and, you know, night after night, he's like, Hey, not, we didn't see anything. You know, we didn't see anything. Nothing happened in the field. There's just no deer moving. And, uh, we, we came out on a trail that we had found in a field and, uh, entry trail to the field. And I just, I mean, look, let's back down this trail. They're always coming out last light, dark, whatever. We always find them there. We found that trail. We just backtracked down about 75 yards, hundred yards into the woods and just down a little, just just a little knife ridge and uh, just very narrow trail right up the sides of it though and we set up in there and, and it was just night and day difference catching those deer uh, again late october and, and they were just all hanging out right there and i'm like dude we missed it we're sitting out in the field waiting on something to happen in the field but it's all right here we would have never known we back at a stand up in there and um get him up in there and he was able to kill a 10 pointer and it just came right down the trail right in front of him and uh just a beautiful thing man and and uh, again it's just backing up catching those staging areas finding those deer that have slid out of their bedding areas and and they're not blowing out in that field yet corn beans whatever it is they're not blowing out there yet they're still hanging back the safety the security of that little staging area yeah when you when you talk about that you bring up a really really uh interesting point there about just a reset moment of going back 75 yards. This is a mistake a lot of people make. And I, I think we've had some mixed messaging in the, in, you know, kind of in the public land, do it yourself type of world where there, there's a lot of people pushing this bedding message and there's people who are super good at hunting beds. But I think for the average person, it's probably better to be like really incremental in your strategy. So if you, like you said, if you get on that field edge and you really want to hunt there and they aren't showing the assumption is they're I, either I got to go right in on top of his bed or they're mm -hmm. nocturnal, both of which are probably not true or they, right. they, they're not inherently true. And when you're, when you're bow hunting, even private land, public land, it doesn't really seem to matter. Those deer that you guys, that you're talking about there and you, taking your son in there and killing them, those deer are just waiting for you guys to leave. There's a That's reason right. they're staging in there. They, they know where that hunting pressure is concentrated and they know it, as little as 75 yards away, they're safe to get up and eat some acorns or do whatever they want, make a rub, check a scrape. They're just not going out where you've been concentrating your pressure. And as little of a move as that is can make all the difference. Absolutely. Yeah. 
<clears throat> excuse me, and I, I think we we do between checking stuff, scouting stuff, and you know we got to be scouting. I get it, but uh, I think so many guys underestimate the fact that every scouting trip they make, every trail camera check they make, every time they're setting foot in there and trimming shooting lanes, going back and double checking everything's good, and just wanting to look one more time, and all the stuff of that human pressure in there, and um, they just underestimate the fact that those deer know, man. You know, you may get by with a you know, the young bucks, young does and stuff may not give a rip, but those mature deer know, bucks, does, whatever. They know, dude, they know you the first time you step in those woods, I believe. You know, that's why you got to make it happen. Uh, that first scent trail you lay down. And, and yes, they just immediately, I think, one of the places we've seen, you know, just know right away, hey, we're going to slide out a little further down the field. They're going to they're gonna make, you know, instead of coming out where they always did, all of a sudden you notice they came out, you know, 100 yards further down the field. You know, coincidence? I don't, I don't think so. I think those dudes know they're playing you just as much as you're playing them. Yeah. Well, they are. And they're, you know, I, I think about, you know, I hunt like Northern Wisconsin quite a bit around end of October, beginning of November. And so there's, you know, a lot of years where you're dealing with snow, right? Like you might get yeah. a couple inches of fresh snow. And the one thing that always just amazes me is, you know, if I throw up a stand on, on private land and leave it up overnight and we get snow, it's almost a guarantee that I'll see tr deer tracks walking up to that sucker and somewhere throughout the night. And it's the same thing when you put up a trail camera, you know, the first series of pictures you get are almost always deer looking at it. And a lot of times you get that old doe sniffing right on it or the buck. I mean, mm -hmm. and it's, you, you think, oh, they smelled it. Maybe they smelled it. Maybe they saw it. It doesn't matter. They knew you were there and That's they, right. and they checked it out. And you think about, you know, that, that the strategy this so common is to hunt early, sit on your field edges, and then kind of take a break during the lull or whatever, and then swing back around this time of year and start getting onto those field edges again, waiting for those does to draw the bucks out. But all of that pressure in the same spot, it just puts them off. And, you yeah. know, when you, I, like you said something earlier about nocturnal bucks and, you know, like, well, maybe they're nocturnal, maybe they're not, or something to that effect. I literally don't believe there's a nocturnal deer out there. Like I, right. you know, and you, you've seen this, I'm sure when you go hunt like Western whitetails, I mean, you can do this with mule deer too, even though they're different, but you go watch Western whitetails bed down somewhere out in the sage or something. And if you, if you hang with them, those deer get up, they reposition with the sun, with the wind, they, they yep. browse for a while, or, you know, you get into a situation like I, I killed a buck a couple of years ago in Nebraska on public land on, uh, opening night or the second night, I can't remember first two days of the season. And they were betting in the middle of a bean field on this walk-in land. They'd get up, feed for a while, <laughs> bed down, mm -hmm. get up all day long. And, yep. you know, I mean, those are deer on public land. There's people messing around there and they're still not, they're not nocturnal the way we think. They're just not, like you said, they're, they're not coming out into that field blowing across it at noon yeah. because they're out of their minds with the buzz in their nuts. That's right. That's exactly it. You know, the nocturnal thing, uh, again, they're, they're moving somewhere. You know, we have this idea that they're, oh, they're not moving unless they're night. Well, they're just, they're not moving where you're at. You know, they're not moving in those easy stands you've got hung out there just, you know, right next to your truck or whatever. But if you dig a little deeper, you go a little further in. And like you said earlier, just talking about the increments, don't, don't just bust it in there and, and go, hey, we've got to get in the middle of the bedding area right now because they're not coming in the field anymore. But just keep checking away, you know, and just little increments. Take it in 75 yards closer, 100 yards, and just see what you got. Maybe they don't hit that that night. You need to realize, hey, 
I've got to take it on in another little bit. Just keep working your way in, um, letting that activity dictate kind of how far you go. Um, but like I said, he's moving somewhere. He's going to stand up. He's going to get out of that sun. He's going to move over it maybe 10 yards, maybe 50 yards. He's going to move and reposition himself with the wind, get out of the sun, find the shade, uh, browse a little bit, whatever. And um, so he's moving somewhere. It's just a matter of you, um, you being in that spot, being close to that spot where you can see that activity when he does stand up. Yeah, and I, I think when – to go back to what you talked about where your son killed that buck and just moving 75 <laughs> yards off. When you think about, you think about how important confidence is to so much stuff. Like I, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, but I, you know, I train bird dogs and I work with professional dog trainers all the time and the good ones, they're just helping dogs constantly develop confidence, new situations, new people, whatever. And you think about whitetail hunting. And the one thing that we do a lot, or you see a lot of, you know, a lot of, new hunters do is they go they give into that gotta be where you can see mentality rifle hunters do this like crazy i mean it's one of the reasons why the rifle hunting or the general gun hunting success is so low i think or could be higher is because we just have to be where we can see and so you think about if you've got that field edge one of the best strategies people could take is if you're if your action dies you just go get off of that sucker 30 40 50 yards and start looking Go in, you know, like you said, follow that trail and follow it back. It, but the problem we have is we, we are like, well, I'm going to set up so I can shoot that edge or I'm going to set up so I'm close enough and, and do both. And oftentimes you just have to go, I'm not going to be on this edge today. I'm not sitting over this field. I'm just going to move in a little bit and I'm going to be looking the opposite way. I'm going to look back into the cover and I'm going to see what those deer yep. are doing. And you see them when you see them staging it's just obvious, you know, you see him yeah. work through one way or you work through another way, or, you know, he's making a rub here and all of a sudden you see the buck come up from the other side and they meet up for a while and you just look mm-hmm. at it and go, that's just where they're, they're, they're just, they're comfortable mingling there in daylight. Right. Those spots are money. Yeah. That's, and it's so fun to be in those spots too, because like you said, they're comfortable there. They know they're good there in their mind. They're good there. They're not walking out. Like we see them so many times, skittish, nervous on edge. They just, they know they're in a spot that they're good to go. They've been doing it on a routine at the staging area where it's a sanctuary in their mind. They feel comfortable and they just kind of, like you said, congregate there, chill, waiting on that sun to crawl down. And um, it, it's just a, it's a lot of fun to, to just to discover those spots. When you find that spot, you know, you've got something and that's a spot where stuff's going to happen. And, and um, yeah, that's where my phone uh, hunting app is, is full of those kind of spots that, that I just look forward to every year when the wind gets right and, and everything's lining up to, to get into those spots. And, um, that's when you're on the edge of your, your stand, whatever it is, because it's, it's getting ready to happen. Yeah. And you get, you know, we talk about this all the time, you know, the, the first sits the best in a stand or, you know, that's the mobile hunting strategy is so, so popular for partially for this reason, but really one of the benefits we don't talk about of getting into a spot like that, when you talk about where deer are comfortable, you, they're easier to hunt. Like they're just not, you know, you talk about that little knife ridge you're talking about where that that feeds up to that food source. They're traveling a certain way. They're using the wind and they're looking and they're, they're not expecting danger there the way they are when they pop into that food plot or, you know, (laughs) over in Wisconsin where we hunt, baiting is legal. And if you just put a trail camera up, I don't, you don't, you don't have to have any corn in front of it or you put a new ladder stand up. I, I think those deer are so used to walking into like, oh, there's another corn pile here. There's a camera there. There's a ladder stand 20 yards away. 
And yep. if you tip them off, like I, I do really well over there showing up and hanging stands in places that they're not associating anything with humans. And I just think they just, they get to it. There's like a certain set of, you know, factors in it, in, in a spot that they just go, Oh, I've seen that before. I've seen this before. I've, every time I come into this, there's, there's bad smells here and they're just more on edge. Like, just like that little kill plot you sit over and over and over again. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it can be a producer all season long, but like you're also just tipping your hat to them, like like they know, like okay, yeah. this this is a, this is a more dangerous place than that spot I like back on that knob over on the hill that nobody seems to come into. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people don't realize that those deer, <clears throat> about the time we feel like we've got them patterned, you know, those deer have got us patterned. You know, they pattern us and and get us on a routine just as easy. So, like you said, it's so important to not let them get you in a routine and not always slip in from the same way, not always follow the same trails in, same trails out, you know, do, um, and, and just try different things, you know, don't, don't keep playing the same game each time and, and just let those deer, you know, pattern you, um, get in that spot where they never see it coming. And, um, it's, that's a fun spot to be for sure. It is. So when you're talking late October, maybe early November, and you're talking about calling, what what are you what are you going with here? Rattling? What are you doing? Yeah, rattling for me is just because of the the uh, volume that you can produce with rattling horns. I, that's kind of been the thing for me. Rattling with grunting mixed in, and um, again, I'll just get into some of those areas. Uh, again, late late October, early November, um, you're going to see a lot of those young bucks running. They're just uh, young year and a half old bucks whatever and they're just running wide open chasing every slick head they see um but i like to put those horns together and uh start that calling just because I, I want that buck to think hey you know what maybe maybe there is something going on this time you know they hear all the commotion and the bucks chasing and a lot of times i feel like they're just laying over there just chilling um waiting on time to be right or get the right smell they are waiting for but um again just curiosity you know a lot of times that's all it takes to just get that buck on his feet and get him come and check you out. Just a curiosity and uh, get him cruising over your way. And um, again, I'm not often trying to call him out into a field and, you know, all that stuff. It's just that little bit, a little bit of action at some of those spots that um, again, that, that you know that they're comfortable hanging out in or spots that they've uh, proven via trail cameras or whatever to, to frequent. And um, just letting them know there's a story going on over here. Everybody loves a good fight. And so that's kind of the, the thing you know i want that that big buck to know that uh, not only are these young bucks over here chasing your does um now there's some stuff happening and they're fighting over doe as something is intensified and, and again just paint that picture uh and it's again you know people ask you call them up every time heck no man there's more times than not you don't but when it's happening um it, it's so fun and it, it's usually once a year for me when I'll rattle the antlers and put them down. Here comes a buck. And then you let him go off and give him a while and rattle again. And it's just, it's just one of those bucks with that peak curiosity moment. And, uh, uh, again, nine times out of 10, it's going to be that small guy, but every once in a while you pick it up and, and, uh, play the game, paint the picture and, and a good buck a step out. I saw it, uh, several years ago hunting a little public piece on the edge of a swamp. And it was just a piece where everything's cruises through and, uh, rattled the antlers uh, grunt a little bit and had a can call, tip the can call over. And I mean, it was, uh, under a minute and, uh, this buck comes cruising up looking and, uh, it's just that thick stuff you're talking about. And I uh, just came right up through the edge of that stuff looking, got to shoot him and fell over right there in front of me. And so, 
Uh, again, calling is not a strategy that's going to work every time. It's just another tool ba- tool in your bag of tricks. And um, But it's a time of year, I think, again, late October, early November when uh, it, it works the best, you know, I think, in my, in my experience where I hunt. Are you, are you doing mornings mostly or are you doing mornings and evenings? I'll start, yeah. At, at that time of year, you know, right as we're cracking in on the end of the month, um, you know, heading into November, I'll start uh, hitting those morning sets for sure, you know, just because I am – Digging into a little deeper areas that I can get but into. I, I mean, calling wise, like rattling wise. Oh, call. yeah. You know, I'll, I'll call either that, that 10 pointer I just mentioned that, that I killed was in the morning, you know, the first 45 minutes of daylight. And, um, and so just called him right place, right time. So yeah, I can't say whether one, you know, morning or afternoon has worked better. I've, I've experienced both and, and maybe even more, more so in the mornings, you know, uh, if I look back and, and see a lot of the times that I've called it, it's been those morning sets, you know? Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'll hit them on either side, morning or afternoon. When you're when you're rattling, do you do you always just start out with a little tickle and then work your way up? Yeah, and and for me, it's it's very short. You know, a lot of guys get the get the antlers and they're just busting antlers and just going at it and just getting fired up and going, you know, minute two minutes or whatever. But um, you know, you look at if you've seen bucks fight, I mean there's not a lot of nonstop. They're not just rattling and rattling and rattling. They're rattling and then they lock up and then it's more, you stomping the ground. It's leaves getting shoved around. It's more shoving match at that point, just to tickle. And then they may rattle together and they bust loose and they'll hit together again and they lock up. And so, um, yeah, I start off light and then, uh, and I work up to, you know, a substantial fight, but for me, it's, it's really just keeping it short, just a light, you know, tickle the horns, keep it quick, you know, 15, 20 seconds, whatever, and stop and, and get ready. Cause I mean, if you're in that area where it's happening, um, man, I've gotten busted so many times, you know, sitting there for 30, 45 seconds a minute with horns and just rattling and, and you walk in and get busted. So, uh, just a quick little fight, let them know something's come together, put their heads together and then, uh, hang them up and, uh, get ready. So you, you try to add in other, other sound <laughs> elements into your rattling sequences. I will. I'll, I'll throw some grunts in and, um, you know, just, um, typically I'm in the tree. If I'm on the ground, I'll stomp the ground and different stuff like that. But, um, you know, I know there's a lot of stuff I'll see guys do that'll, um, you know, as far as breaking brush or breaking branches and stuff and, uh, all those things, you know, adding, you know, trying to add some realism, realism to it. But, um, for me, it's, you know, just grunting, uh, you know, and, and hitting those horns together. And then, like I said, I, when I wrap up, I'll, I'll th- tip a can call over. I know a lot of guys laugh at a, a can style call, you know, and again, never, you know, never works every time, but I've had enough hunts to, that they have come in on a string that I'll, that I'll use that again, just telling that picture, you got a fight over here. You got two bucks going at it. Um, and then having that, that can call just tells, Hey, there's a, there's a, there's a doe that they're, they're fighting for, you know, and yeah. I just try to paint that picture. Yeah, I think it's a real eye opener when you when you see a real buck fight close. Yeah. You know, I mean I, I think about it, you know, if you if you hunt, you know, a lot of people who hunt out east or who hunt public land generally have probably heard their neighbors rattling. Like and when you hear it, it's like listening to a politician speak. You're just like, This yeah. is not there's bullshit here. Like this yeah. is not it's not the right soundscape, you know? Yeah. And when you see uh like you know, you said everybody loves a good fight. The first one I ever saw, I was in high school and I was on this ridge, this valley below me, and I heard a fight break out below me, and I'm glassing and I picked up these two bucks 
and at the time they were huge to me. They were probably like two year olds, but they were bigger than the the spikes and forkies we were usually targeting. And those two bucks started fighting. And because of my vantage point, I had, I saw like nine deer run in and watch this thing. It was like one of the most amazing experiences I've had in the woods. And it made me realize, cause we had tried rattling and it, it made me realize like, man, when these deer actually go at it, like you said, it's a real short duration lockup, but it's loud and there's a lot going on. Like, yeah. you know, that, that was in October. So there was, you know, the leaf litter was out and, you know, breaking branches. It just opens your eyes. Like, yeah. If you're a buck there, like we give them too much credit a lot of times for being smart, I think, but they're, they're cautious. And if they're sitting there listening and they're like, okay, this just, they're probably not thinking, man, this is weird that their antlers are hitting together, but I can't hear their hooves on the ground. Right. But there's probably something just like a turkey when it walks in and your decoy shines wrong. It's not like that's a fake bird. It's just like, I don't feel good about this anymore. I'm going away. You know what I mean? Like there's probably not like a whole lot of thought to it. And and so I think a lot of times people don't sell their calling sessions. I mean, man, I was sitting in, uh, I was sitting over a river in, uh, North Dakota, probably, I don't know, three, four years ago in mid October. And I had these two bucks come down to cross to me and they met in the river and they started fighting in the river and I'm telling wow. you, it was like, it, it sounded like they were storming the beach at Normandy, man. There was rocks just <laughs> like cracking and splashing. And it was like 50,000 times louder than most of our our rattling sessions would ever even consider being, you know? And it was, yeah. it just, it was like. Oh, here's two 200 pound animals fighting. <laughs> this is not, yeah. you know, like this is not play, right? Like these, these dudes are trying to kill each other and the sound to it is just so vastly different than what we probably put into most of our average calling sessions. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's certainly a death, a difference in those shoving matches, you know, that those, those bucks, uh, you know, when they come out of velvet, you know, back earlier on in the month and, and, you know, um, September even, you know, and they, they strip that velvet and they would go from being buddies to, to start, you know, just establishing who's the boss. And, you know, they're just kind of shoving matches there, but yeah, like you're talking about that in the river, throw down death match. I mean, that's, that's where there's some serious commotion going on. And so, um, you know, again, it just comes down to what you're, you know, trying to tell what the story and what kind of, you know, audible you need to cast as far as your you know how far you need to get that sound out there uh banging on that again and uh but again for me is is making those calling sequences short um putting together that sound and then and then hang it up because man so many times i I can tell you so many more times than not i'll get i'll get caught in in the past anyway i've gotten busted sitting there standing with the horns my hand and here he comes walking out looking and they're coming in looking you know like you said serious so they're on the lookout when they come in and uh, they just don't get don't get caught with your grunt call and your hand call and your antlers in your hand and get caught looking, you know. So Yeah. It's 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 definitely something to think about. It it's an interesting thing. I mean, I I think one of the great intangibles of this when you're talking about calling in the pre rut and during the rut is when you, you know, if you go sit, I'll never forget. I, I sat during rifle season in Minnesota years ago on this property and the neighbor was rattling and it was like once every 10 minutes, that guy would bang the antlers together and create this fake fight. And it would be like 
two o'clock in the afternoon, six days into gun season. I'm like, dude, <laughs> and it, and you know, like when you're talking about that buck that you rattled in and you, you get close to the swamp and you get in the right spot and then the timing feels right. It's just like, it's a, it's a hard thing to talk about because we sell these ideas like, well, go out and rattle in the pre-rut or the first couple of days in November. But the people who really know what they're doing with this stuff, they're sitting there going, this is the right time. Like this, this, I can just feel it in the air. It's cool. It's 10 minutes into first light and I can see really well. Or, you know, I was, you're on stand in the afternoon and it's getting a little later and then the the clouds roll in and the light changes and the wind shifts. And you go, just, this is, they're going to be on their feet right now. This is what I callable. And so it's, it's a really fun thing to talk about, but I always just want to caution people, like understand that, you know, you, you've said this multiple times that this is not like a guarantee and it is not, I mean, it's, it might be like a 10% success rate, maybe depending on where yeah. you hunt, but yeah. you can up those odds. If you, if you call like deer actually sound and you're just reading those conditions going, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, sun's high overhead. Not, I haven't seen a freaking songbird in three hours. It's not the time, but yeah. 6.30 at night and it's, you know, getting a little darker and that, you know, the temps drop 20 degrees or 15 degrees. Then you're like, okay, now, yep. now is, this is the time. Yep, absolutely. And I think of another hunt from several years back that, again, talking about the can call, um, I don't know that I've ever heard, I mean, I've heard deer bleat, I've heard deer grunt, do different things. Um, but I don't know that I've ever heard a can, you know, a deer sound just like a can call, you know, long drawn out deal. That's why some people say it's no good, but I was hunting in the timber several years ago, gun season, sitting up there with my bow and I had watched a, a, it looked like a spiker or forky something just going back and forth chasing this doe again, just like, good gosh, man, leave her alone, whatever. He's just going nuts back and forth over this little saddle out in front of me over the ridge doing their thing. But then one time I look up and I heard crashing again and I, I look up and I see some antlers i put my binos up and i say that's not the spiker and he's by himself and he had come in looking he heard the sound of all the commotion and i took he was probably 80 to 100 yards out and i just tipped that can call pulled out of my pocket tipped it over and i look up and it caught his attention here he comes down that ridge i was sitting on he walked you know 25 30 yards and he'd stop and excuse me i tipped the can call over again he'd get a read on it here he come another 25 yards and man i just kept it up he again walked 20 25 30 yards He'd look up, ears come up, looking and listening. He did. I think I did three or four, you know, licks on that can call, and he marched up there and turned broadside. I shot him right there at 18 yards maybe. But he was a classic example of that deer that was hearing the sound of some rutting activity. He heard that, that chasing, and again, a spike buck chasing the doe around. And he heard that. And he came looking for that. He came to investigate. He knew what was up and then just intercepted him with that can call and uh, pulled him in there and, and made the shot. Nice buck. And, and so – um, again, no call works every time. Don't let somebody tell you they do, but, uh, I like to have them in the, in the tool bag just, uh, because there is a time when they will and, um, you know, take their temperature, use those calls, see what you got early November, you know, early part of the rut. It's, uh, all the time, oftentimes it's, <coughs> excuse me, just what you need to get him in there where you want him with that bow. Yep. That, what you said there about the, that buck hearing that little guy chasing around. I read something years and years ago that Scott Bestel wrote in Field and Stream, where he, I think it was Scott Bestel, where he said the the best deer call you could probably ever have would be the sound of deer running. Yeah. And yep. I mean, it just, it, but again, 
you know, and that's a strategy people use walking into their stands and stuff. You know, if you, if, and I firmly believe in it, I believe in the same way. I, I don't know if you do this or not, but I carry a mouth call, a turkey mouth call with me a lot. And if I have to walk in and there's leaves and it's calm, I just scratch my way in and I yelp softly. And I've had, I've had two awesome things happen there. I've had deer be really close to me and I've called in turkeys <laughs> when I've done yeah. it. And, yeah. uh, but, but just sounding, you know, sounding like the woods is, yeah. is really important. Um, when yeah. you, let's, let's say you strike out on this late October, right away in November pattern, and you're moving to the just chasing, chasing phase, crazy November 7th, 8th, things should be busting open. Where are you sitting? Yeah. So that's kind of the deal for me. November 12th is always has become my, my hot days used to be, um, uh, you know, when I lived in Montana, I had a streak of November 8th being the day, the go-to day for me and just kill bucks on that day for a number of years. And then when I got back to Tennessee, it became uh, November 12th through 13th, 14th, right in there. And so that's kind of where I've looked and where I you know, had some good success here in West Tennessee over the uh, recent years. But uh, in those couple of years, I've noticed that, you know, just catching those deer slipping along uh, a couple of different transition lines. And, you know, I've got some uh, thick cover that I love to sit in several spots. And it's just that, that thicket where I know those doves are going to hang out and they're going to be in there going there to bed. And those bucks will just come up cruising that, that, um, you get in that transition line and he'll be on that downwind side and he can just cruise up that line and, and, uh, check that area for anything happening. That just, it happens to be where my tree stands at. So, um, two different pieces of property that I think back on that I've, I've been successful on from that. And they're both the same situation, catching bucks, slipping that, that low slide of that transition line. And um, that may be pinch points. That may be just, again, transition lines. And uh, I got an Oak Ridge that's more open and they'll be cruising through the Oak Ridge, but you know, just down downwind side of that thicket where the, you know, where the does hang out. And so those are a couple of fun spots, but again, just getting, getting those travel routes for that. I know that those, those does have been, are they going to be at some point cruising in and out of, you can dang sure bet come, you know, November 10th, 7th, 8th, you know, 10th to the 15th, whatever, that he's not going to be far behind. You, you know, I love seeing six, seven does go by and, you know, you're thinking, man, why is there not a buck with him? Just give him some time because he's coming. He won't be far behind and he's going to come and just scent check that area that they just, you know, went into and bedded it, you know. And so, um, yeah, so I look for those transition lines, uh, bedding areas, you know, on the, get on the outside lines of those and uh, I'll set up shop on that, just knowing that he's going to, be on that downwind side obviously you know you got to work the wind play the wind on those situations and and um but looking for those places where i know that buck can cruise that downwind side of it and he can check that whole area you know and, and they're so slick like that you know they they'll do that and i watched the buck come through several years ago on that low side of the bottoms and i watched and i saw him coming from 100 yards away and he would come through and he'd have that that nose up and uh, just lip curling. He'd go and make a scrape. He'd check scrapes and licking branches, but he was just working up that, you know, that low uh, bottom side, you know, bottom green briars, all the bedding area. And he was just checking it out. And so um, just catching those bucks cruising up that line, looking and lifting. Pay attention here. Cause this is a hell of a good service. It's called the wellness company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. 
or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle. Now, this, this is a good innovation here, and it solves a real problem, okay? So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools, like a griddle on your grill. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. There's no use of coatings, okay? You can use metal tools to flip, press, and scrape without worry. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. Now, everything, the problem with griddles, everything rusts. No one talks about how bad everything rusts. Uh, the reason they don't is they couldn't fix it until now. Well, Weber's new rust-resistant technology, your Weber grill will last for years. When used, the carbon steel griddle hardens and bonds the surface, reducing the ability for moisture to collect and rust to form. With the new Weber Works Prep Cook and Store System, you can keep cooking and cleaning supplies handy, carry food and condiments from the kitchen to the griddle, and even convert the side table into a prep station. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. Do you think, because there's, I mean, there's really kind of two factions of, of rut hunting strategies, right? There is that hunt the does strategy. And what you're talking about is playing a doe bedding area. You know, a lot of people will just go to the food sources and wait for the does right. to come out and hope they bring a buck out with them, which, which works too. But your strategy is really doable, I think, for more pressured ground stuff. Like, I, I, I like that. Like, personally, I like doe bedding areas and getting on the downwind side way more than playing that food source game right. for, for rutting bucks. But then you've got the other faction that's like, I got this badass pinch point. I've got this funnel, whatever it is. The terrain is just like, you're going to go right here if you, co if you go from point A to point B. Then you got that strategy. And I, I kind of think that in my experience, the best, the best hunting I've seen has probably been working those doe bedding areas and playing that downwind game. But in some low density situations or certain situations, you just can't beat that terrain feature. Like if you, if you just have that confidence, like, listen, I got four days or five days or whatever. If I post up here and the wind doesn't switch out of the North or the West, somebody's coming through. And it, it, yeah. it's just kind of, it's kind of situational, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think about a bottleneck that we've had off a field, beautiful field, but it's kind of the best of both worlds. Cause you can see in the fields that you've got an incredible bottleneck that's coming up in the timber from a Oak Ridge, uh, bottleneck coming out of the bottom and it's money. I mean, just it's money. I mean, when the rut comes, you can, 
you can plan on the does slipping through that bottleneck. It's just a travel route, man. They're going to be somebody coming through there. And, uh, there's been a lot of bucks over the years, you know, taken right there again. Um, they're not out in the wide open for long, but when they cross, that's the spot they're doing that bottleneck across that field pinches down to a little gap right there. And I mean, it's just a gauntlet, man. They, they come through there and, and a lot of fun in those kind of spots for sure. Yeah. Those are, <clears throat> those are kind of save your ass situations because you can, you can sit something like that and, and just have the confidence that eventually they're coming through that, that, yep. you know, playing a doe bedding area type of, of hunt. So situational on the wind. I mean, and I know everything we do yep. is, but some of those you just have you have to be able to get in there and you have to be mindful of those does you have to be mindful of playing the wind so it's good for you or so it's good for him but better for you and it's that yeah. to me is like a little bit more of a nuanced hunt i think that's kind of why we lean so hard into the terrain you know the funnels pinch point strategy because some of those are just they're just no brainers like you just yeah. see them and you go well if they if they want to get from this ridge to that ridge they're either going to cross here or they got to jump 40 feet across this washout, you know, like yeah. some of that stuff's just, it's so easy, but there's like a subtlety to that doe bedding area strategy of going, okay, the does are going to come in this way, or they're going to be in here in this spot. He's probably coming from that direction or that direction. He's using the wind to his advantage and he's using his eyes to his advantage. Now I got to get into a position where he thinks he's safe, but I'm close enough to shoot him. Like it's a, that's like a chess game. And that, that's to me is like the most fun kind of like setup to find when you're in the rut yeah absolutely and you know you talked about that just letting that buck feel like he's good you know the wind's good for him uh but you can make it work as well and, and that's so huge you know because a lot of guys i think they say oh the wind's bad for me today well man what is it you got to do to make it doable for you uh but still let that buck thinks you know odds are in his favor and um so i do i like those spots where i've got you know, a plan A, plan B, say, hey, the wind's not good. Well, I can get right over here and make it good. And just those little subtleties, man, just getting those small little moves. Um, again, I hunt a lot of crosswind stuff for that reason, just knowing, that, hey, this wind may bite me, you know, but I've got just this wind of opportunity. If I can make it, he's, he's going to feel good about it. And I've got my opportunity has tightened up, but it's going to tip the odds uh, for his, you know, his comfort level to be good, but then, you know, for me to be in the right spot as well. And so again, just sometimes you got to be thinking about those is plan B and C, is it still doable or am I just going to throw it all out when it plan A doesn't work. And so finding those spots where you've got a couple different options to, to make it happen. Even if you're, you know, banging off the ground, if you're just getting in, you know, whatever you gotta do, position yourself. Like you said, that's what's so fun about it. It's just that little chess match of just making that move. He thinks he's good. But he has no doubt, no idea that you just shifted 75 yards over around that side of the pinch point, and now you got him. You know, so that's a whole heck of a lot of fun. It is, and you know, I think one thing that happens a lot with rut hunts is, you know, we preach this all day sit, and which is a, you know, you should be doing that if you have the right setup, absolutely. But there's also this reality where you go, I'm going into that river crossing tomorrow, or I'm going into this pinch point, and I'm going to sit all day. I'm bringing my coffee, I'm bringing my sandwiches, I'm going to. I'm going to find the end of the internet by the end of the day. I'm going to do everything I can to stay there. And then at 11 o'clock, the wind switches and you go, well, he could still come from this way or that way. Like, man, you got to know when to pull the plug. And it, like you said, if you have that backup option, pulling the plug is, is easier. If you don't have that and you talk yourself into sitting there, then you might get in trouble. 
you know, and it's, yeah. it's an in the moment thing. And I, I think, I think what you really learn when you hunt a lot of different places and you go to a lot of public land where there's like, just, there's just stuff out of your control, you know, like people yeah. coming in and what you just, you get kind of used to that, that mentality, like, okay, this one went South. What's next. It's not, you know, it's not going to take you out of the game. You're just like, okay, well, a lot of times when I go hunting, shit goes wrong and I got to do something else. And if you expect that and you have that plan B built in place, you know, like there's just times where you, sometimes you got to get out of that tree and go build a natural ground blind. Like you said, (laughs) you know, or just, just whatever to stay out there, but to make those decisions and commit to them versus talking yourself into riding out a bad program. It's important. And it's, it's tough. It's tougher than people think. Yeah. Yeah. So many times guys were like, well, heck I'm, I'm here. I might as well just sit here and, ride it out knowing the winds were rolling up into the completely wrong spot but it, and it just comes down to laziness and and you know i don't want to move but i don't want to pull my set down or i don't want to go back to the truck whatever you know they come up with a million different excuses just to keep doing what they're doing even though they know it's wrong um and and that's that's so much what we've got to say you know what this is wrong this is no good it's not going to happen here and if it does happen here i'm busted and and you know you got to just again you got to figure out how to roll with the punches know when to hold them know when to fold them and uh so uh that's that's huge you know having that just that mindset where you're willing to do something different i think that's a lot of it <clears throat> a lot of guys go oh this is sucks man this this is no good i'm out um but you know no one say hey why is this not good and how can i make it different how can i make it better what do i need to do to improve my odds for success and being willing to do that. You know, there's a lot of guys, I mean, you leave a lot of guys behind just by that, you know, having that mentality. Uh, because a lot of them, again, they're just, they're just lazy. They want the easy hunt. They want the easy sit. They want the easy action. When it doesn't happen, they're gone. Uh, but man, if we can realize, Hey, there's a better way, there's another way. Uh, it's just going to be for odds up for sure. Yeah. I, I really think, <clears throat> I really think that the message of finding a way to stay in the woods longer and not, not you. So, we do this a lot where we make excuses to go out because we, we kind of like, oh, the wind switch. Well, it's 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 the smart thing to not hunt or it's 75 degrees on November 6th and it's too, you know, it's the smart thing to not hunt. And I'm always right. like, just go, go some, yeah. maybe don't go to your best spot, but go. And I know you've seen this. I'll never forget. I mean, I've told this story a million times. The biggest buck I ever killed in my life was on public land in Nebraska in 2014 and that morning, the amount of trucks that came into that property we were hunting was ridiculous. It's a, it, there's about 320 acres of actual like hunting cover in there. And we had like eight vehicles come in and there were other guys camped there already. And so, you know, the, the hunter per square mile there was nuts, right? Yeah. Right. Guys rattling, whatever. But I went out and that morning, climbed up the ridge, went to the back of the property Killed the biggest buck of my life. Saw three other good ones. Uh, one of the guys we walked in from Michigan, who just happened to be walking in close to us, killed a great buck, like a 17-inch wide eight-pointer. And then my buddy killed an eight-pointer on the same ridge. Mm. And what was interesting was I shot my buck early. You know, I mean, I had, you know, it, it happened pretty quickly. And I let him, I, I, I thought I smoked him, but I let him lay a little while. And so then when I found him, you know, it was, it was probably like, I guess... 10, maybe 11 o'clock in the morning when I walked back to camp to go get my deer cart and go back and get this buck. And partially because right. I didn't want to screw up my buddy because he was down the ridge. But when we got back to camp, those trucks were gone. There was one guy left. And so we watched, you know, eight trucks come in there in the dark. It was a freaking parade and all these headlamps going out. And on this was like November 7th. By the time I get back at mid-morning, 
11 o'clock, they're gone. And those bucks are still out there chasing those does, you know? And so, (laughs) and it's, it's really, I, I think, you know, when I talk to guys like you and I talk to Andy May and Eddie Claypool and these people who are just freaking killers out there, that, that ability to just kind of go, okay, well, this is what I do now that this didn't work is huge. The ability to adapt yeah. and just not, not only like not make the excuses, just not get down, just go, okay, the circumstances have changed and now I'm going to do this. It's, it really kind of separates the deer watchers from the deer killers a lot of times. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I know you've talked uh, in recent podcasts and over the years about water access and moving water recently. And um, I love that because that's a lot of my strategy is, you know, you, You've got some of these guys, like you said, you got headlamps going everywhere. You got trucks at the parking lot, but so many times I'll slip in via the use of a kayak, water access, whatever. And they're banging around up there doing their deal. And I'm going under the radar, slipping in by that kayak down within the banks. And so many times I've just walked in or cruised in on the backside of that stuff and let those guys, all that activity just push them right down to me. And, uh, like I said, those deer know when they're coming and going, man, they, they pattern us. They, they know, Hey, nine, 10 o'clock they're gone, you know, heading back for chicken biscuit and, uh, the woods are wide open again and they just pick up activity and resume doing their deal. And so, uh, I love that water access again, slipping on the backside where I know there's a lot of guys doing their thing, slipping, uh, again, on the backside that covers you often look and you know, the deal, the backside of, uh, the edge of that water access so many times can be, just the ideal bedding cover, ideal cover, hang out, escape route, sanctuary. And so finding myself in those positioning myself in those, um, that first part of the rut or whatever, and all those guys coming in off the highway doing their thing and just sitting in that spot, man, it's, it's fun when the sun comes up, because you know, dude, I'm in the right spot. I don't care how many guys come in up off that road. I'm in the right spot for that, you know, exit strategy for those deer. And, uh, that can be a lot of fun in and of itself. So yeah, man, don't let, the, the extra traffic. I mean, nobody wants to see that. We're all disappointed when you pull up and there's somebody already there or there's uh, five guys that come after you or whatever. But man, even with that, like we said, you've got to learn to roll to plan B, C, D, whatever. Uh, and even on the front side, just having that idea, that strategy, hey, this is the public piece. This is probably going to be heavily hit. What's the backside look like? How can I come in by water? How can I hunt the other side of the river that, that, that they're not coming to? You know, they're not wearing their waders in or or whatever. And I cruise in on those spots and, and, uh, it opened up a whole new world. Yeah. And it, you know, that the water access that we've, we've covered that so much, but it is so important. And what it is, is we really underestimate the impact we make it, make going into spots a lot of times. And, you know, you, you could walk into the best spot out there. And if you walk in wrong, you're not going to have a very good hunt. It's just, that's just how it works. If they know you went in there, it's no bueno. And we yep. just do that to ourselves so often. And so yep. not only can you, when you're talking water access or some of these sneaky ways to get in, not only can you get to these parts of the, of properties that maybe aren't getting hunted as hard, you're just getting in a way where they don't know you're there and you're that's getting right. in close to them. And that's, yep. that's one of the things, you know, everybody's hunting mornings now this time of year. But, you know, I've talked about this so much and people will say, well, you know, you can't hunt mornings in September and early October. I'm like, that's crazy talk. It's all about your access. You like, it's all about how you can get in and how you plant, where do you park and how do you like circle around? And so much of that is like the work of hunting. 
Like so That's much right. of just making sure that you're not making a dumb mistake and walking an extra half a mile that's like the real work of hunting pressured deer a lot of times. And it, you know, there are situations where you can't do it. If you got little properties or something like that, they, you just can't do it. But that's part of the reason why we like big chunks of public land sometimes is that's right. <laughs> like you, yeah, yep. you can, you can go park in the WMA parking area and you can walk the same trail in that everybody takes, or you can park by the bridge there on the highway, drop down there and get into the river and come in the way the deer just don't expect you. And I, I just think, yep. We don't, you know, I, I, I always get this, this kind of revelation every couple of years when I'm hunting up in Northern Wisconsin, where the predator population is so freaking high that we have these does and these deer concentrations right by the cabins and right by the houses and right by the highways in, and I'm always like, it's so weird that I get back into this swamp and it looks awesome. And it's like a dead sea for deer sign, but I'm hunting this stupid tree row right by this county road, and here's yep. a whole bunch of deer. And I just, it, maybe there's a different reason, but in my head, I'm like, okay, well, the bears and the coyotes and the wolves and the bobcats, <laughs> they live in that swamp, and these deer, right. you know, these these does that get smart and they're pulling off a couple fawns or a fawn every year, they're bedding right by the cabin. And they're like, these yep. two-legged predators, I'm not as worried about them because I can right. pattern them versus those four-leggers that are out here Day and night, twenty four seven, all year round. I think I think that stuff matters, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we see so many uh, opportunities. If you can legally pull it off, hunting closer to houses, hunting closer to roads, and <clears throat> think about all the deer we drive right by that are sitting there on that, you know, seventy five yards off the road, bedded there on a little little hump off the side of the road, a little ridge up there, and we we drive by them and. I don't want to give away too many secrets that you and I use, but I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, I mean, I think about so many of those things, you know, just overlook stuff. Um, so many of the little public pieces that I hunt are, are not very big at all. You know, they're small pieces of ground, but they're stuff that people drive by every day and they, they don't think anything of it. And I'm thinking, man, there's deer hanging out in that cause there's no pressure there. Yes. It's right there behind the business. Yes. It's right there next to house or whatever, uh, next to the road. But uh, like you said, those deer have learned there's nothing happening here. There's nothing going on here. There's no pressure here. I'm good to go. And again, they're just they're staying away from that um, pressure, any predators, whatever it is. And um, yeah, some of those are the best spots for sure. Yeah, and it, and they can they can really work in your favor in the rut too. And it, this is something. Yeah. This is sort of a message we don't get out much because we. We talk about the rut solving all of our problems, right? Like all oh, the deer are going to be running like crazy and they're going to be going through these pinch points and this fence crossing and whatever. But when you go out, even when you hunt a good place, like there's no guarantee of that. Like there, right. you know, you can have a, this is, I think the hardest thing about the rut a lot of times is our expectations are so high. And then you get That's out right. there and you realize like I could go sit all day and not see a deer or see right. one deer. And then it's like, how do you stay in the game there? And That's right. you think about, you know, like what you're talking about here with these concentrations of deer, wherever they're going to be, if they're right next to the county road or whatever, like you have to find that now. Like you, have, right. you have to be open to looking for that. Just like you said with your staging area strategy earlier, if you if you go try that thing you believe in your heart and soul where the deer are coming, they don't come. Okay. Yeah. Where are they? You know, yeah. and this, this comes up a lot, but you see this, especially this time of year where, where deer laying down sign, man, like they're, they're letting you know. And if you yep. go and you're like, I'm going to hike all the way back to the back of this, this property, and I'm going to be snorting lines of freaking mountain ops off the back of my pack to make it back there, whatever. <laughs> and then you get back there yeah. and it's just not happening. 
but you walk through an area of 200 yards from the parking lot that had a bunch of sign in it, you missed it. Yeah. And everybody yeah. does this. Like we, we fall in love with our ideas and we fall in love with our strategies. And then you get out into nature and nature says, actually, it's happening right here, bro. Walk by it. Don't walk by it. I don't care. But mm. what you, what you actually want to find is all around you right now. And you're, you're married to this idea that you got to go here or do this or sit this spot. And it's just not, it's not so cut and dry. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to that. Then you got so much of the, the idea. Uh, unfortunately, so many of the YouTube channels and, and public strategies and all the stuff that we're seeing in social media and YouTube, you, you see so many guys that are pushing the whole deal of, of, I mean, you got to walk six miles in here. And then the next guy's like, Oh dude, no, I, I walked seven miles. And it's this contest of who's the baddest dude in the woods, public hunting. And, you can't hunt under two miles from a truck and be a man. You know what I'm saying? That's what the, that's what the chicks do, right? The girls that are just getting started, that's what they do. Anybody that's been hunting long, any man's going to walk at least three or four, maybe five miles. And, and you know, I, I've got nothing to prove anymore, man. I'm not into that. If I find deer within a hundred yards of the road and I can legally hunt, you know, a couple hundred yards from the road, whatever I'm dude, I'm right next to the road. I mean, go with the sign. Don't leave deer to go find deer, you know, that's the biggest thing. And we do that so many times just to prove something that we're, we're tougher. We, you know, we, we walked into the woods and, you know, beat the mosquitoes and you, know, whatever. I think we're in a dangerous spot right now uh, because everybody wants to be the baddest deer hunter in the woods. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they it, you see it all the time, you know, and it's, it's, if you're not hunting public land or if you're not hunting out of saddle, uh, if you're not, you know, hunting 50 feet in a tree, you know, whatever, it just keeps going up and up and, what do you got to do to be the baddest dude, you know, in the woods or whatever? It's like, man, make it, you know, just kill, kill deer, you know? I mean, don't, you don't have to get all this stuff on to, to impress everybody else. Just do what it takes to kill deer and, and don't worry about all the other stuff. Yeah. And go have some freaking fun. And have, you know, yeah. that, that, uh, all right, we can't help ourselves. I was talking to a buddy of mine this morning who he killed a freaking stud buck in Minnesota last year. It was I don't remember what it scored. It was, it was like upper one forties, I think, but it was heavy and it was, it was a freaking toad of a deer. It was a great buck. Yep. And he said, he talked to a guy the other day who saw a picture of it. And the guy was like, yeah, you know, this area of the state would be good if you guys would just stop shooting all those little three-year-olds. And this deer was a, it like a toad. Nobody's passing up this deer. Like, right. unless your name, right. la if your last name is Lukoski or Drury, you might pass. Otherwise, nobody else is. Like, right. everybody kills this buck. And it, he was just like, I'm just so sick of that, that kind of idea that, like, you, you know, like, you're so special if you target huge bucks or, like, maybe not even that, just to, like, talk down on other people's deer. It's just, it's so bizarre. And we just can't help ourselves. Like, we're so locked into the trophy thing that we just forget like, man, this is supposed to be fun. Like when you go climb into that, you're supposed to be enjoying it. And that's, you know, I, that's one of the things that I really like talking to the hunting public guys. Like, I think that, you know, everybody's like, Oh, Zach showed us how to stalk deer on the ground. Or they showed us that deer can be killed in public land. Like they did that. But what they did was they showed people that you can have a hell of a lot of fun doing this stuff. And like, I think that was like sort of the great intangible that made them so popular is people looked at that and they go, these guys are having fun. Like they're not taking yeah. themselves super seriously and, you know, preaching this bullshit of, you know, the, the trophy management stuff. They're just like, we're just out here enjoying it our way and having a blast. And like, that's refreshing. And I think yeah. 
I think that's what we have to be like really careful with when we talk about rut hunting. Like I kind of mentioned earlier is people are so often like, this is my chance to go kill a giant. Like, yeah, you know, 20% of bow hunters might do that. Or, you know, by this time of the season, maybe 10 or 12% of bow hunters will fill their tags in November and be done. The rest of you won't like, yeah. okay. So do you, yeah. do you, you want to like, and if you want to hold out, go ahead, but do you want to go have a lot of fun? Like it, that might not be it for you. Like waiting for that 170 just cause it's the rut might not work. You know, like yeah. you go out and start working these deer concentrations. Like we're talking about, instead of saying like, it's November 7th, I'm only targeting big bucks. Like you can, you can be hunting for that, but if you're not hunting for deer concentrations where they are right now, you probably right. missing the boat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So true. And, uh, like you said, man, just positioning yourself where it can happen, getting your odds up. Um, but just not missing out on the fun. My gosh, man. I, again, you, like you said, the, the percentage of guys that are going to kill that stud giant, what you dream about the buck we all dream about. Um, those are, those are pretty few and far between, uh, depending on where you are in the, in the country. Um, for me, it's more like, man, you know what? It's the first week in November. Anything can happen with every time I sit in that stand, I'm not going to miss out. Just the excitement of knowing that anything can happen every time I put my butt in that stand. That to me is where it's at. Just the fun of that. Just knowing that, man, I, I'm not missing a sunrise because again, it's, it's the first week, second week of November, end of October, whatever. And dude, anything can happen. I mean, it's just at this time of year, um, and so I, I want to ride it out and be there as much as I can and, you know, and hunt smart, you know, obviously don't just go blowing up your spots just because you feel like you need to be there every day, but hunt smart strategically. Uh, but just be there. It's time to be there, man. And get in the woods and again, catch those bucks as they first start to venture out from those beds and get wandering a little further, and a little further. And he's realizing and your trail cameras will show you, you know, if you run trail cameras, you're going to see, Hey, he's, you know, he's gone from, uh, coming out into the field or whatever at 12 o'clock at night. Now he's, you know, 10 o'clock and now it's creeping, you know, and, and you'll see that little trend, that transition, he starts creeping closer and closer and it's happening at this time of year. Next thing you know, he's right there right before dark. And, and, and those are times where I say, you know what, I've, I've got to be there cause he's creeping closer and closer to daylight. And then boom, next thing you know, here he comes down the trail. So it's, you gotta be there this time of year. Absolutely. That's you bring up a good point there about trail cameras where you know the midnight picture yeah that's cool whatever he's there but that picture right after dark on that food plot or that field edge that's telling yeah. you something i keep right. that that's telling you you're not dealing with a nocturnal deer you're telling you're that's dealing right. with a deer you can kill in a staging area um yep. the other thing you said there about you know not missing a sunrise i think i think when you get to a certain age and you get a lot of experience in this you realize you know like the maybe the first two weeks in november are the best example out in the outdoors. Like when you, when you've done this a lot, you, you want to put yourself in the woods, like, because how many Novembers are you going to get? It's, it's like elk hunting. Like you go elk hunting and you have one good elk hunt. It's like, how many, you know, if you live where a lot of the listeners here do, you're not getting that many weeks in the, the mountains before you're dead or, you know, yep. the first four or five days of Turkey season. Like you want to miss that one of those more right. no way, man. Right. And right. the the thing about it is the, the fun of deer hunting. We, we, we've, we've painted this picture of like, and we default to this all the time. I do it all the time where it, it's the killing the big bucks is kind of what we default to talking about. But one of the things that makes it so damn enjoyable 
is believing you got a real shot of seeing deer. Like when you go, like you yep. talked about that bottleneck stand, that's just money. When you, when the conditions set up and you've got some history with a spot or you walk in and the freaking sign is legit and you, you hang that stand or you saddle up and you just believe it, even when you don't see anything, like if you flame out for whatever reason, that's still more fun than a lot of hunts. Cause you're sitting there going right. any second. It's, you know, that's one of the reasons that those early season, uh, you know, velvet hunts or those early season, Western kind of river type hunts are so fun. You know, you sit up there in glass and you go, Jesus, I saw 17 deer cross here yesterday mm -hmm. and I'm going to go hang a stand here today. Like yep. even if for whatever reason, a pack of coyotes, a mountain lion comes in other hunters and it gets blown up the time that you're sitting there, you're like, this is there. I can't think of hardly a better way to use my time than plant my butt in a tree then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that happened back in early season, you know, in Kentucky, I remember sitting there knowing I'm in the right spot. It's going to happen. Uh, just, uh, just that nausea, just that almost the, the butterflies, the, my hands start sweating that last 30, 45 minutes of daylight. I'm sitting there and my hands are sweating. I haven't even seen a deer yet, but just knowing, Hey, it's about to happen. It's about to go down. And again, I get the butterflies, I get the jitters, nausea, sweaty hands. And like, Lord have mercy. I don't know if I can handle this when it does happen, you know? And, um, and gosh, that just, again, that experience, that excitement, um, that's why we need to do it, man. You're going to have, if you can learn to love that, that's, uh, you're going to get more of that than you are that encounter with the, with the giant that's few and far between, like we said, but man, if you can learn to love the experience, love just the journey along the way to get into that uh, shot opportunity, man, it's, that's where you're going to make your money, man. That's the, uh, that's the good stuff. That's, um, uh, that's just enjoying it. And, and in my mind being there for the right reason, just enjoying the journey along the way and not missing out on all that. Cause you're so focused on I've got to find this one buck that I saw one time on a trail camera at midnight back in August. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, so many people will just blow their whole season for something that uh, a fleeting glance of a deer they've never seen in daylight. And so, man, just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the journey. Uh, there's nothing like it. Yeah. And he, I, I want to just, I want to, I want to tie a bow on this with it to go back to that, what you said about, um, you know, not missing a sunrise. Like that's one thing that I'm trying to like really instill in my daughters. Like I do this in the summer uh, with our smallmouth fishing, you know, yeah. they can get up, we can get up and we can, we can hit the, the lake at sunrise. There's no boats out. There's no jet skiers. There's no other kids to play with yet. Everybody's still sleeping. You just get that moment of, you know, two hours of awesome top water fishing and it doesn't take away anything else from your day. Really. I mean, you might be a little tired, but it's like, you, you never regret it. Even when you go out and the fishing's not that good, you got a cold front come in or something happens, you, you still never regret it. Just like getting up for Turkey. It's just like getting out there, you know, even if it's November 20th and you're like, oh man, it's going to be a lockdown and uh, you know, whatever's not happening. I'm like, man, maybe, you know, maybe it's going to suck. But if you go into it and still think, oh, it's November and something could happen and like, there's a lot worse ways to spend your time. Like go get in right. the woods. Like I, I think- right. I think that one of the biggest keys to becoming like a really content, you know, happy hunter who kills a lot is just accepting the fact that you like being out there more than anything else. And just making that whenever, if the family's squared away and everything's squared away and you can be out there, be out there. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to put your time in. I remember reading articles, you know, about that kind of stuff when I was a kid, you know, magazine articles of, of you just got to put your time in. You got to put your time in, hunt as much as you can. And, um, and like you said, I mean, you got to take care of your responsibilities and your family and, and make sure you're not neglecting, 
uh, time you need to be having with your wife and kids. But uh, my gosh, man, you, you've got to put that time in. I mean, I, I know so many days where I've slept in and just got lazy, you know, I've been beating it up all through archery season. And, um, you know, again, November gets you and I'm like, gosh, dang, I don't, you know, you start making excuses for why you're going to not hunt this stand or whatever. And I'm like, dude, you, you can sleep, you can sleep in December or January. You know what? You, you can sleep during duck season, whatever after duck season. Um, but you, you've got to get there, man. And like you said, you can take that midday nap, whatever, but man, I just hate to miss a morning. Um, just out of, you know, being lazy during the rut, you know, these first few weeks, of November, uh, gosh, you just, as much as I can be, I'm going to try to be out there and, uh, you know, again, hunting smart, but, uh, just not missing out on those opportunities when they come by. So, yeah, I, I really realized how, uh, how important that was when I quit drinking and <laughs> I woke up every day, like, okay, you know, I'm still tired and stuff like, but yeah. just not feeling like shit. And just, yeah. it, it just, how it changed my, my perspective of, of every hunt and every string of hunts where it's, you know, you're on a trip with your buddies and it's seven days or it's the sixth day of your, your rutcation. And just, it made me appreciate being out there a hell of a lot more because I wasn't fighting against this, <laughs> anything that I was dragging myself down with, man. It, it changed yeah. everything. Uh, it's so worth being out there. Everybody's listening to this. Do not take any time off during the rut. Even if you hunt the same public land that I do or Brody does, go out there with us. Uh, yeah. Brody, as always, man, it's so much fun to talk to you. Uh, thanks for coming on. Good luck. Good luck with your rattling in the next week, and good luck with all of your rut hunts this year, buddy. Hey, man, same to you. I look forward to seeing some pictures roll through. Shoot me some messages. Let me know what's happening in these next few weeks. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, man. That's it for this week, folks. Be sure to tune in next week for more whitetail goodness. This has been Wired to Hunt, and I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you're looking for more whitetail content, and we know you are this time of year, be sure to check out themeateater.com slash wired to see a pile of new articles each week by Mark, myself, and a whole slew of whitetail addicts, or head over to the Wired to Hunt YouTube channel to view the weekly content we are dropping there. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.